This episode of the Big Head Chats podcast on the On The Pine Sports Network is brought to you by Mulcahy & Co. Marketing. For all your marketing needs, Gav and the team have you covered. They do it all, including making our website. Check it out at www.onthepinesports.com.au. They also build online stores using Shopify. Throughout COVID, more and more businesses need to go online and Gav can help you do that. Check out their latest store at www.wardrobebythesea.com.au. If you need some help with your online presence, then get into contact with the team at www.mulcahy.com.au slash marketing. Now I can actually provide a service for you through the podcast. So mention Big Head Chats while you're there and the guys will give you a free website report on your current website, which gives you an idea of how it is performing with SEO, page load and many other aspects. It also gives you recommendations for changes that can be made. So, uh, yeah, jump on it quick because I can finally give you something, listeners. But for now, let's jump into this week's episode. Let's go. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Big Head Chats. It's a big show today, AFL theme show, and I've welcomed in one of the best in the business, <laughs> Maddie Nevitt from RSN. Maddie, welcome to the show, mate. Good to have you. Thanks, Lassie. Gee, that's a wrap. Big wrap. Well, mate, you deserve it. I mean, you're doing big things at RSN there and uh, kicking goals. So I thought give you a bit of a pumper. Oh no, it's a it's a privilege to be on the show, Nashi. <laughs> you're doing wonderful things as well. So I'm um, looking forward to this, mate. The name's pretty self-explanatory, as you'd know. Uh, I've got a larger than <laughs> average noggin. Um, so big head chest. Physically well. or metaphorically, is it? Uh, a bit of both. A bit of both. Um, you know. The hat that I've got on at the moment is stretched as uh, as far as it can go and um, yeah, I'll pop myself up if I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all do, mate. Yeah, exactly right. Um, now, mate, we'll jump straight in. We're, well, actually, we're going to discuss Melbourne first because you're a diehard, you're a diehard Melbourne fan and <laughs> I don't, you know, I understand the pain you're going through right now. Can you, can you talk me through the Melbourne season? You know, maybe in five words. Give me five words on what the Melbourne season was. Yeah, I don't know if the listeners want to hear me talk about <laughs> Melbourne straight off the bat, Nashy, but uh, oh, look, an awfully frustrating season again for Melbourne, wasn't it? I mean, they showed glimpses at times of, of being, a, you know, a really powerhouse side. I remember back to their game against Hawthorne early in the season when they were just electrifying in that mm. first half um, and their midfield was up and going. Petrarca really announced himself that day. And then other times, I remember the game against Port Adelaide on a Thursday night when Melbourne were, were given a real chance against the Power, who were on top of the ladder at the time. Mm. And they were dreadful, absolutely dreadful. And, and it led to their, pre, uh, their, their chairman, Glenn Bartlett, coming out and giving them a, a public lashing. And I think those two games really just sum up Melbourne's season. At times, they were brilliant and other times, they were terrible. And as a result... It's their own fault that they were finding themselves outside of the eight. So uh, they've only got themselves to blame. And uh, two years ago, they were they were kicking around in the preliminary final. And gee, you you get the feeling it's been a waste of two years in a lot of ways. Yeah, it does feel that way, doesn't it? Because especially this year, where I'm thinking back to those those two games, you lost to Fremantle and Sydney. And Sydney, that's right. Yeah. And then the next two weeks, you beat the Giants and. There was another one in there somewhere. Essendon, Essendon yeah. maybe. So you win those those two tough games, the Giants and Essendon, where that's probably they're probably the two games that Melbourne would usually lose, yep. where they ran those teams that are around your mark. But then you win those ones and you lose to to young Freo and, mm. and an even younger Sydney side. So that just seemed to sum up yeah, the last well, two I mean, years, that, especially. That, that's another way to look at it. That trip to Cairns, whether you whether you 
use the excuse that they came off a four-day break or, you know, the travel didn't help them, whatever it is. You know, they went up to Cairns and they had the wrong attitude and, and they, were, they were expected to beat Sydney and they were expected to beat Fremantle and the reality is they only had to beat one of them to make the finals yeah. and they weren't able to do either. Conditions weren't favourable. Uh, a few things went against them in those matches. But if they had have shown up with the intensity and the, and the purpose that they had at other times throughout the season, they would have got the job done, no worries, in, in at least one of those matches. So... Yep, only got themselves to blame. Um, and they'll look back on, yeah, what I think is probably another wasted year. Because if you look at their list... It's really it's strong. It's good. It's, it's a good they, list. They, they had three players nominated for the All-Australian squad. Two got in, Gorn and, and Petrarca. They've, you know, they've got a couple of bona fide stars. Yep. Their depth in a couple of areas, particularly key forward, is lacking a touch. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, they've actually filled the holes that they had in terms of running players with Langdon and Tomlinson. They've got some really strong key defenders. May should have been an All-Australian. Yeah. So there's so many positives. But for some reason or another, it's just not gelling completely. And you, you wonder whether or not, are they in the window? Are they not in the window? And the window doesn't stay open forever. We know that. So mm. I think... Certainly for Simon Goodwin next season, it's really crunch time for him. It, it is massive. It does remind me... It does remind me of Richmond in the in the way that, you know, you're there about and you, you prove it against the good teams, but then, you know, the inconsistencies there, the coach is under pressure. Yeah. You know, Dimmer was into his sort of fifth, sixth year and, you know, the question starts to get yeah. asked, like, how many how much longer do we give him? You know, these guys are in this window for a shirt, certain period. Um, it reminds me of that. The Tigers finished, what, fifth one year and then they missed the finals the following year, didn't they? So I think was, they lost to Carlton in the first final. Is that so right? It was, a, it was those three finals in a row. So 13, 14, 15, yep. three elimination finals, lost all three, yep. embarrassed in two of them, should have beaten Cup. Lost to Carlton who made the finals because Essendon won not right. from the Supplement Saga. Yep. That was embarrassing. And then 16, awful year, missed the eight, lose to Sydney by 120 points in the last round. Mm. And you just thought... Fuck, this is Richmond all over again. <laughs> he was lucky to keep his job in a lot of ways, Harvey. Yeah, very lucky. Had that had the review. Yeah. I, th- I feel like every club has a review when they have such a terrible, yeah. terrible year. But it it must have worked because yep. seventeen rolled around and there we were holding the cup. Mm. And now it just is taken us to to here, obviously. So um, I do see a bit of Richmond in Melbourne, and you know we, they've got Melbourne got stars, and Richmond had stars. We had Rance, we had Rewalt, we had Cochin, Martin, all these mm. individual stars, but it wasn't quite gelling together. And then as soon as it does, yeah, you know, it's locked in. Well, let's let's just hope the crystal ball for Fingers the days. Crossed, <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Following that trend, because uh, mate, there's a few passionate Melbourne supporters down in Ballarat, especially. I want <laughs> I want to see some success for the for the guys because. I feel like you have waited long enough. It would be not. Anyway, that's <laughs> enough about the demons. Let's talk about well, some so, are having some mate, success. Humongous round of finals footy. I feel like I haven't I can't remember a week of finals where every single game was as good as this week mm. that we've just seen. I mean, good individual finals, grand finals, but every single game in this first week of finals was amazing. How do you how do you say it? Oh, I totally agree. And I think there was something about the final series this year. Um from the majority of the second half of the season being away from Victoria, I think we've been hanging out for the finals a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been such a long season. It's been a dragged out season. But when finals comes around, it's like a, it's a breath of fresh air for, for AFL fans, especially for those that, you know, their sides aren't in the finals. And as disappointing as it was for, say, a Melbourne supporter, 
I think it's great to get it. It's almost like a reset, and then you know you're going to get great football. So you get it four games, and they're going to be absolutely cracking contests. Intensity's up. Um, you know, it was so so great to see some young sides like the Lions, you know, put it together as mm-hmm. well because they're coming off a year last year where they where they went out in straight sets, mm-hmm. and the challenge for them this year, and they had an enormous challenge to come up against the Tigers in the first final, was to win that match because if they lost three consecutive finals, all of a sudden, you know, the pressure mounts on them, but. It was just fantastic to see sides like that really jump out at you. The Saints as well for their long-suffering supporters. Mm. Um, Collingwood's win in the West. You know, it had everything that first week of the finals. And um, yeah, it's just it's it's just something special about finals footy. And it's a different it's a different atmosphere. It's a different um, it's a different watch on television. Yeah, certainly different different feel when you're at the game, as you'd know. Definitely. So yeah, it's uh, great. Hopefully, we get three more weeks of it. Well, hopefully, and I think. This season especially needed that first this first week of finals and the games that it provided because, you know, there's been so much talk about the state of the game, you know, lack of scoring, the entertainment factor. Then all of a sudden finals rolls around and, you know, there has been some terrible finals in the last couple of years, as there always is. Mm. But, you know, we just got massive intensity, close games, um, as you said, storylines. So, mate, mm. Brisbane... Um, and Port Adelaide, their big wins over two of the... F- Everyone was writing off Brisbane and Port saying Geelong, Richmond, West Coast are the flag favourites. Mm. And they've come out first week and just gone bang. Both got wins. Um, the Saints and Doggies, you know, the two sort of fairy tale stories and the Saints finally get that finals win. And then Collingwood in the West was just... The more <laughs> I've thought about it, the more it, I can't... It sunk in with me a little bit and sunk in to me the, the chance that West Coast lost. Because look at their list... You know, Tim Kelly added into it. Yeah. And they're out in the first week. It just makes no sense. So um, it had everything. And we're going to start with the power and the cats. So what were your initial thoughts on the game? Because I feel like it wasn't – it was close in the end and Geelong had their chances, but the power seemed in control to me or not. Well, I think that was the big thing you mentioned about their chances. Look, it was the third time all year Hawkins has gone goalless. Mm. He kicked 0-5. I know there was a couple of tight misses, but – I think when you're playing at home in a final like that, if your opponent doesn't quite bring their A game in the first quarter, the crowd can latch onto that. Mm-hmm. Um, the side who, who's up against it, or sorry, who, who's playing at home can, can feel that and sense that. And that's what the power did. Um, they they capitalised on Geelong's missed opportunities. Hawkins misses at one end, ball goes down the other end and Dixon makes the most of his chance. And that sort of seemed to be the theme right throughout the night. So it was simply a case of one team taking their chances and one team not. Um, but it could cost Geelong you know, a shot at a flag because they've got to go the hard way now. And in a season that's been so challenging already, it's it's going to be even more difficult to go the long way. It asks a lot because I don't think we can underestimate how hard being in the hub is. Mm. I just I know from you know a, a friend of mine being in the hub, it is hard because yep. you, they were expecting to go there for six weeks, and then all of a sudden they're there for sixteen mm-hmm. instead of six. So it, it, we can't understand how hard it is to be away from home. A lot of them away from family still, even though some people, some players have their families up there. Um, so we can't underestimate that. So now for the for Richmond and Geelong, it just adds another element to you know, that climb. And if they can do it, then it's probably one of the most miraculous premierships. We'll see. Um, but to your point, so my biggest takeaway from Prado and Geelong was that it's always a battle of the bottom six players, I yep. feel, especially in finals. So it's not often you're going to see your stars not deliver. It's going to be the bottom six that – win you that premiership. So Richmond approved that in yep. the last 
three years. Um, so I just think Port's bottom few were better than Geelong's on the night. So Motlop, um, Rosie's not a bottom six player, but he wasn't awesome, but he was still better than Geelong's bottom few. Um, yep. Laddams were simply better than Gary Rowan, uh, Myers, um, and Gary Ablett. You can throw in Sam Pepper. Had five yep. clearances halfway through the first quarter. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're talking about intent in a finals game of football, that's it right there. Yeah, exactly. You know, being able to win the hard ball early in a game when you know everyone's going to be cracking in. Mm-hmm. And that sets the tone for, for the side as well. And there was that one example from Zach Butters there inside 50 as well, which resulted in a Laddams goal, yep. which again was sort of, you know, typical of the way that Port Adelaide cracked in all night. And yep. it, it's often in those moments that there's that, that there's one moment that really stands out at mm-hmm. the end of a game. And that was it for me, that, that Butters attack on the football. Yeah, and... I think because we've discussed it before. So the stats were so similar and Geelong led in a lot of the key stats on the night as well. But it was moments like those that won Port Adelaide the game. Mm. And I think have been such a key part of Port Adelaide's season up to this point as well. Um, So same amount of inside 50s. Geelong had 17 shots, supports 15. But the Cats never seemed in it to me. So they were, I mean, they were thereabouts, but... It took Patrick Dangerfield to run the whole field yeah. and kick a goal. And even then you were like, well, where's the next one coming from? Because they just didn't seem – the entries didn't seem clean. It just didn't seem like they were going to get easy goals, whereas Port would be able to answer yep. quickly with an easy goal. And it just deflates I think it's a opposition. Great, great point because it's the way that you, you're going inside 50 and then it's the way that you're defending – the 50 as well. And that was two very different stories. And you talk about the stats not telling the entire story. Well, Geelong had 10 marks inside 50 compared to Port Adelaide's four, mm-hmm. which showed you how the game was played. Port Adelaide were putting chaos balls in. They were playing, you know, through hands to, to move the ball inside 50, whereas Geelong were forced to go wide. They were forced to go to Hawkins in the pocket. Um, and they weren't put into, you know, like you said, they, they had the same amount of inside 50s, but they weren't dangerous with those inside 50s mm-hmm. all the time. So, well, How um, many did Hawkins have? From the boundary, I think three, yeah, three right. at, least, at least three of his shots were, two of them were left foot yep. snaps from the boundary. Yep. Another one on the boundary as well. So, I think there's a bit of Richmond in Port Adelaide's win in terms no of just get the ball forward. We've no got doubt. we've got those small plays. Charlie's the one key forward, and while he didn't set the world on fire, his contest was unbelievable, mm. and that was one thing. You know, Twitter was exploding about it. Was saying Charlie's had a really good night here because. He hasn't lost any one-on-ones. He's brought the ball to ground every single time. And then they reaped the rewards from that, from just chaos footy and then kicking goals off the ground. And that's quite often the case in finals. So a guy like Dixon, who's had a fantastic season, a lot of the focus goes to him, you know, with the, with the television, with with the opposition in, um, you know, analysis. Everyone's talking about Dixon and focusing on him. And then as a result, a guy like Motlop can pop up and kick three goals inside 50 or Laddams can can snag a couple as well. And um, those guys, those bottom six players that you talk about can actually um, reap the rewards of, of over-focusing on those star players in like the first week of a final. So it's a good point. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about was Geelong and their game style. So... They, they've talked so much about, you know, they have the freedom to be able to say, well, we can go slow, we can go fast. You know, we've got the players that can make the decision on the fly, um, on the ground without the coaches. So, you know, I'm just looking at guys like Harry Taylor had 14 metres gained, um, O'Connor had 39 and Henry 93. So they're, I know they're not the attacking defenders, but it just seems to me like they're going, always going sideways, backwards, I just feel if you're going to have that possession footy, just take go forward. Take the 15-metre chip 
forward. Take mm. that little one and just slowly work your way down. But it seems to be, I don't know, it's a lot of sideways. Yep. When you've got guys like Tom Hawkins up the field that can give you that contest and then get guys like Gary Rowan and Ablett and those guys involved quicker yep. and with a bit more freedom because it just seemed like it was the reverse role of the game earlier in the year where Port Adelaide were really clogged down forward. Geelong guys, defenders were, you know, coming and helping out on Dixon. It seemed to be the roles reversed this time and Hawkins just could not get a, a look in mm. f- often compared to the earlier um, round game. Did you did you see the same I, sort of oh, thing? I totally agree. I think it's been a real theme for Geelong throughout the season. When they've played their best football, they've moved the ball fast. When they've played some ordinary footy, they look to be going slow and kicking sideways. And it... <laughs> It's frustrating because it sounds like such an easy fix and it's yeah. easy for us to talk about. It's a little bit like the Giants as well. When they're playing their best football, they're playing that free-flowing, move the ball through the middle of the ground style. But towards the back end of the year, they were so stale and stagnant with the footy. And it's a bit like Geelong when they're at their best and at their worst. Um, they, they visually look really different. So I don't know whether that's a coaching thing um, from, from Geelong's side of the park or if it's something that's happening on the opposite side of the, of the fence, you know, and, and the coaching staff are able to nullify that, um, say, from a Port Adelaide perspective. But um, you're right. If they're going to win the flag, they, they can't afford to play that slow brand of football that, uh, over the next couple of weeks. Because I just think you've got to almost realise they have some superstars playing for them. Mm. And so and that's why, that's why I feel like, you know, Richmond in the last three years, you know, they just – Get it for because they know they've got good players up the ground. So if you get it there quicker and put the defense under pressure, it just creates opportunities. And Port Adelaide show that as well. And Geelong, they've got some seriously good players up forward. You get Gary Rowan on the run and get him going. Yeah. There's not many that can stop him. You get Ablett going, get him involved as well. Um, and Grind Myers, we've seen when he's up and about and getting that up the ground footy, then getting out the back and, and snagging some, some goals as well. Yeah. They're hard to stop, and that's it's almost like the three-headed monster with those small forwards. And if you get them going, that's well, that's almost the most important part for Geelong because well, so would Danesfield, those guys in the middle. The back line are still really strong, but get those guys going. I, w- I always look at Gary Rowan, and I and he's a frustrating player to watch sometimes as well. But I feel like he's built for finals, and I've and I'm, I'm always waiting for him to really explode mm. in a final because he doesn't need a heap of the footy to, to have a real impact. He can take a big contested mark. He can explode at ground level. Um, he can be creative with the football. So I feel like he's a guy that they could try to get the ball in his hands more often over the next couple of weeks because he can be that X factor inside 50, and he can be a different avenue to goal to Tom Hawkins as well. It's spot on. Um, now, we're going to move on to the Tigers and the Lions. So... Everyone knows I'm a big Tigers man, and um, it was an interesting. Not used to losing finals. Well, not used to losing finals. I haven't unusual. I feeling. mean, you know, the last three years we, apart from the the prelim in 2018, we haven't lost many. So um, it was an interesting game though because you, I felt like we're going to get them. Like we're going to get them eventually. We're slowly going to get there. Um, but credit to the Lions, it was really mature performance. I thought. And they were just able to answer every single call that Richmond threw at them. And I think you saw last year they couldn't quite do that. First time in the finals in a long time for a lot of those players. So I think they learned a lot from that year and they were able to put it onto the field. So you can, because I feel like you can learn, you can look at the uh, film and say, we did this last year, we need to do this this time. But unless, until you actually do it on the field, it's never going to click mentally. But now that they've done it, I feel like. It's almost lifted them up that little bit. And you could see the relief on all their faces. Did you sort of oh, no notice doubt. that? And you, uh, they're such a young group to to have been able to overcome 
a couple of things, a couple of hoodoos. The Tigers have won 15 games against the Lions in a row. That that's you know that would be no doubt in the back of their mind that they haven't been able to get four points against um, you know this this side that's been the best side in the competition over the last five years. It's the, it's the first time they've been in a prelim for 16 years. You know, they're a young group. They obviously lost those two finals last year, like we spoke about. So they had to overcome so much before they even stepped out on the field. Um, but once they did, like you said, how mature were they? And these guys are, you look at the Rainers, the McCluggages, the, um, the likes of Hipwood, Andrews, they're all 23 years or younger and they played like 26, 27-year-old, you know, bona fide, you know, seasoned campaigners on Friday night. And and, and they absolutely deserve to be probably the favourite to win the, the flag right now because of the brand of footy that they're playing and the fact that they've got the rails run. And I know a lot of people talk about that, but I think this is really now where you're going to see the benefits of having played at home basically all season. Um, you've got the crowd now you know, behind you. I know it'll be a little bit different probably coming into the next couple of weeks with more neutral tickets, but you're, you're going to sense the fact that you're at the Gabba. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that will now lift them again. So I think they're so well-placed to, to win a premiership. It's And the hoodoo thing, because you know, I compare it to sort of, you know, playing local footy. And there's obviously teams that, you know, that they have... They just have they have the advantage over you, just purely from previous games and um, that relief when you finally get them. Yeah, is because the stress going to the game. I'm no doubt Brisbane had that. The stress going in knowing Dusty's killed us every single time we played them. You know, Jack Rowold does this and this, and they just seem to find an extra edge against us to finally be able to do that. Yeah. And you saw it on their faces in the celebration. I love the celebration because. Some people might say, oh, they haven't won the premiership yet. Why are they celebrating so hard? But the relief when you finally break that hoodoo is such an amazing feeling to know that you can do it and then yep. you've done it. And then it just gives them that confidence. And now they're in a prelim. Mm. And they're like, well, if we can beat Richmond, we can beat like, anyone. Absolutely. And, so that's, and then the fact they're playing at the Gabba. And if they play, make the granny at the Gabba. So they're the most well-placed team at the moment. And, and you talk about being inside their heads. So let's picture at quarter time, right? And you, you, you mentioned the impact of, say, what Dustin Martin's had against you in previous games. Well, mm. quarter time, he's had seven disposals. He's the dominant player on the ground. And the Brownlow medal favourite, Lockie Neals, hasn't had a touch. <laughs> he has not had a touch. You're down by a goal. Yep. Um, it's been a bit of a electrifying first term. You know, a goal fest. Seven goals were kicked. Um, <laughs> your best player hasn't had a touch of the footy. Their best player is dominating. For them to be able to regroup at quarter time, and I, I, you'd have to say that Chris Fagan would have had a, a real influence over his mm-hmm. ability to probably just control them and calm them at quarter time and, and, and realign their you know their game plan and, and, and just get them set to be able to then go out and perform the way they did over the next couple of quarters. Well, yep. you talk about maturity. That, that's something else. I think that, that's a real feather in their cap. And yep. um, like I said, they're so well-deserving of being in a prelim. And, and in my opinion, they're, they're the team to beat now. And, and, it, was, and it was that immediate... It calmed them down immediately because those that second and third quarter was where they they dominated and they hit the scoreboard and really made Richmond pay. So it wasn't as if they sort of just barely hung on mm. after that initial first quarter where it seemed like things might go against them. Um, they did it immediately and had that impact straight away and and got on top. Mm. And then Richmond had playing playing um, Chasey after that. Um, and then even in that last quarter when. Richmond started to sort of get the ball rolling a little bit and Shy Bolton almost kicks that 
miraculous yes. goal from the boundary. It would have been one of the great goals. Well, if that goes in, it's it looked likely that Richmond were going to almost roll them. So you need a little bit of luck in the final. Like everyone needs luck to to you know Richmond have had it over the years, and you know every good team has had it. But um, it was so mature. Um, but you know it was the Tigers' struggle to kick inside fifty again that was really obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, 14 shots from 49 inside 50s compared to the Lions, 21 shots from just 45 inside 50s. So I think the Tom Lynch factor definitely hurt Richmond, but it's just, it's a problem they've had all year where it's just clogged. So they And it's just the high, long ball, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, it's in 2017, it worked with Rewalt as the individual key forward, and they had that sort of chaos ball and the small forwards fleeing to the, to the yep. drop as well. But this time it's just it was just kicked down to Harris Andrews' throat, who just cleared it every single time, and you know Chole couldn't get involved. So Richmond needed they've done it all year. They've figured out eventually how to kick it inside fifty a bit nicer, but they need to get that fixed for this week. Yeah, I think that's the silver lining there for the Tigers as well, though, is that if they do happen to come up against the Lions again in say the grand final, which is the only time that they can meet now, um, you know the possibility of Lynch coming back into the side. Mm. Uh, he adds another dimension. It means that the game's going to be played differently and therefore you give yourself not hope because they don't need hope. They, they know that they can beat the Lions if they bring their best football, but mm. it's just another element that they can bring to the game and it gives them the confidence that we can turn the tables on on on, on Brisbane Sorry, in the grand mm. final because we've got a, another A-grade forward and he's someone you're going to have to stop, especially in a grand final. Um, mm. You know, he, he could be so dangerous. And... The, the funniest part about the game was that every major stat, clearances, centre clearances, all the stuff that Richmond are usually terrible at, we were really good at and Brisbane couldn't seem to get it done. And then yeah. vice versa, you know, us winning the ball back in defence and then slingshotting, we couldn't do that to save our lives and, and Brisbane were doing that really well. So it was just a weird a weird game and one that probably gives both teams a bit of extra yeah. confidence saying we couldn't do the things we're usually good at right, but we are able to... It's be in the game. Richmond, Richmond with statistics and they're the it most... It makes no sense. They, they never have made sense. No. It doesn't the make Tigers, sense at all. The way that the, you look at the end of a game and you, you look at the stats and how did they win that game <laughs> with that line of statistics? So you almost put a line through the stats when the Tigers play because yeah. it's, it's, it's just... It's almost irrelevant. Because it is almost they, irrelevant. The way yeah. that they play as a team as well and... Mm. Um, <laughs> As someone who likes to have a punt, I often I often bet on the best player on the opposition having a lot of touches in the game and against Richmond because they they're happy to give them the ball. Yeah, correct. Which is, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And you're, you're never going to back a Richmond player to have high possession because nah. it just doesn't. Especially this season, ever since Martin had that, had that amazing season where he was mm. getting thirty touches a game, they haven't really had that consistent high disposal getter. Mm. Um, it just hasn't been the way that they've played, and they've, they've been the best pl- team in the competition. So, and I think. There's the, something to learn from it. The Because the, the stats can be misleading in a lot of areas in, in any sport, and especially footy. And I think that became apparent in the All-Australian. Mm. I don't know what you thought about the All-Australian team, but, you know, I think you got the eye test becomes important for someone like a Nick Dylan Grimes or a Nick Vloston more so than the stats may present for someone like no a doubt. Caleb Daniel, if you know what I mean. That, that was a lot of the case for a couple of those forwards, as we like to call them, that were picked as forwards, but they're midfielders. So Correct. Um, I don't know if you've, you've listened to the, the podcast, mate, but we had a bit of a um, 
Bit of a go at the all. Bit of a nuffy <laughs> corner. Yeah. Nuffy corner about the all Australian. Don't think you're alone, but by, by the sounds I, of it, I think yeah. Twitter nearly went into meltdown when the all Australian team got picked, and yeah. I don't know if you joined in, but uh, I was there. Well, I'd, jo- I'd joined in the week before when Stephen May missed out on the forty. So well, I'd I'd spent my tickets by then, but uh, he was totally he was agree. my lock. He was my lock yeah. as the as the fullback, and then probably Harris Andrews and to not make the squad. Didn't quite make sense to me. I'm not nah, sure what the I, reasoning I, was there. Totally agree. I've got a question for you, Nashi. Yep. Can you tell me how Jared Lyons was surplus to requirements at the Gold Coast Suns at the end of 2018? Well, it made no sense at the time. I, it makes less sense now. It makes <laughs> even less sense now. It's made Stuart Jude look like a dickhead. I, it it makes, makes no sense. No sense. Because you, he, he averaged I, 24 I, disposals a game yep. in his couple of years at the Suns. In a, you know, you can't tell me he wasn't in you know their top forty players. Surely there was a spot on. And him he's on not. The list. He's not like he's old. I mean, Michael Barlow probably deserved a spot on the list too. So there was some Correct. fascinating um, you know football decisions made there. But so I, I don't remember him at Adelaide. I don't remember. I can't think back to that time. I'm not sure what his form was like there. But when he was at the Gold Coast, and then all of a sudden he was delisted. I, it made no sense then, and then it's just made he he's embarrassed Gold Coast since in how he's played. At Brisbane. The strange thing was as well when he was at the Gold Coast Suns is that he played regularly too. It wasn't like mm. he was in and out of the side. He played a lot of football in, I think he might have played 18 games or 19 games in both of those seasons. So he was a regular contributor. And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, they, they, they wanted to go in a different direction. But oh, it's, it's a baffling decision. I don't know. Do, do, do football clubs ever be accountable for those decisions? I know sometimes players move on and, and perform well at other clubs, but... That's just a, that's an absolute shocker well, because not, he's been a star at the Lions, and it's not like he was in bad form, and then he's gone to Brisbane, and then that that fresh start has no. helped him hit. He's form. just carried on. He's, he's just know. carried on what he was doing, and then that's right. It's funny because then the Gold Coast have gone. Well, we'll get a Hugh Greenwood, which is fine. He's been a really good player for them, but it's like, well, if you can't get Hugh Greenwood, why would you get rid of Jared yeah. Lyons, who does the, you know, the clearance work that Hugh Greenwood does, all the inside hard stuff, and then also. Get on the outside and really hurt you, and he kicks goals, and mm. sort of makes no sense when they've gone and got those guys because it fit the mold perfectly for the young midfield they've got at the moment. Yeah, and well, I think any 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 experienced player that could find mm. the footy, you know, like I spoke about Barlow, any one of those players would have been good for that group. But mm. look, when I suppose we're not privy to the when conversations was, that happened just talking about it, aren't inside we? the four walls, maybe something else went on. Yeah, you never know what goes on behind closed doors <laughs> in AFL footy clubs. Um, Mate, Saints and Bulldogs. This was a game where, I don't know, watching it, the Dogs just never seemed quite in it. And um, it was disappointing during the game because, you know, I thought I tipped the Dogs. I thought they were a really good chance. But then all of a sudden that last quarter hit and it was just an onslaught of uh, of Dogs' offense. Um, my, my question to you is, do the Dogs' stars need to impact more than with – getting high possessions. So at the, if you look at the, the stats, so they had the top four possession getters on the ground. But I just feel like they've got the almost the best midfield on paper. But are they impacting as much as, say, you know, Richmond's midfield who don't get 20 touches. No one gets above 20. But the, obviously the impact is higher with yeah. how they move the footy. Do you sort of well, buy into that? Well, I do because... Uh, and it, it's interesting that you raise the point that they had the four highest disposal getters on the ground. And again, it's a... It's a bit of a funny one statistically because even though they had the four highest possession getters on the ground, McRae, I'm trying to remember, it was Hunter, Bontempelli, and Daniel maybe who mm-hmm. were the four highest. Yeah, well, yeah. 
Daniel was the only one who got he got twenty six, and the others got twenty four or less, mm-hmm. which is which is below what they had been getting in in the games leading up to this. So you know, McRae, Hunter, Bontepelli are high accumulators of the yep. footy, especially the McRae's and the Hunters. Mm-hmm. So even though they were the highest on the ground, they still weren't getting you know that a lot of the footy like they had been in the weeks leading up. And I, I feel like that was because the game was played on St Kilda's terms. Mm-hmm. And the Saints don't have that high possession get I mean, Jack Steele and Hanbury tend to get a little bit of the footy, but not, you know, in the 30 bracket 30 often. Mark, yeah, so yeah. It, it, it was fascinating to look at the statistics after the game and see that. And I, and I agree with you that, that they've got to have more impact and, and they've yep. got to be less, I guess, less front-running players, if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if they're poor users of the football. Sometimes I think they can look brilliant with the ball and mm-hmm. when they're attacking, they're at their best. But when the game's not played on their terms like it wasn't on the weekend, yep. um, their impact, you know, it can be completely nullified. Yeah, you're right. And It was I'm, interesting that Geary going to, to, to Daniel at the start of the game as well. Yeah. He still had a lot of the footy, Daniel. But I was going to say, so everyone sort of got on the Geary bandwagon and yeah. saying how much he... Shut down Daniel, but Daniel slowed 26 and yeah. kicked a goal. So it wasn't as if he was completely nullified. But Geary, with with his size, and he's, he's a little bit older now, but his athleticism, he makes you defend. Yep. So I remember the one game that stuck out to me was when they played Carlton, and he he gave Sam Doherty a bath, especially early, because... Because he is a target, and he can and he can mark it, and his goal kicking is a bit iffy, but he seems to kick him more often than not. He makes you defend, yeah. So he keeps you honest. So, um, with someone like Richmond this week, if you can make Dylan Grimes and Nick Floston have to defend you individually and not have to go and not not let them go and help the other defenders, it just changes the whole defense of the other team. So, yeah. um, although Daniel wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, it just changes how they defend. I think yep. a lot more. No, I think it was a game that was was very much one in the coach's box, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, they only just got over the line and the Bulldogs probably played their best football in the last 10 minutes. But yep. um, I think that the Saints had done their damage in quarters two and three when I think they kicked two, seven goals to two. It's because uh, Brett Ratton is good at his job. Yep. And he always has been. Always has. It's and funny and thing, that. It's <laughs> like another, another one that – another decision that baffled the people's minds <laughs> then. Of why – Carlton, why? Why would you – you look at his record, and I think he they made the finals twice, and then the year they didn't was they were eleven and eleven, or that the I can't remember exactly. Yeah, eleven and eleven, twenty two. Yeah, um, so it wasn't as if they were no, de- going downhill or they were bad. They were, that was that was Carlton's best stretch. And the grass you know, isn't always since. greener, is it? On you know, look, we talked about Hardwick and Goodwin, and you can even throw Buckley into the mix, sort of before Collingwood started to to play finals footy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you're only ever one season away from being really good and you're only ever one season away from falling right out of it. So, yeah, exactly. Um, the grass isn't always green. And clearly Brett Ratton is, is just absolutely lapping up a second opportunity. And I think giving hope to maybe the likes of a Michael Voss who, who could mm-hmm. potentially come and, you know, and coach again at, at league football. And I think with St Kilda, with all their off-season moves that they made, he was the perfect coach to yep. get because... He's obviously good at his job, and when you've got so many new recruits coming, that are going to be your key players. So you've got a, a key back, you've got a key forward, you've got a ruckman, you've got um, Brad Hill. You sort of you need to get him going as well. Um, some coaches, that's a tough job to that is, that is a tough job to do. But Brett Rand seemed to be the perfect guy because he's really good at his job and he's proven it already. And They've reaped the rewards of it now, being back in the final eight. Yeah, and without knowing Brett Ratton or what he's like, I mean, it's it's like anything with you've got a group of people and you've got someone who's their leader. It, it, 
if that leader doesn't necessarily, you know, if let's take Alistair Clarkson, for example. He's been a wonderful coach for, say, 15 years. Who knows if he was given a different group of, of players, whether or not he would have been able to have that same influence or mm-hmm. not. I mean, we just don't know. You almost get the feeling that, like you were saying, Brett Ratton was just such a great fit for the Saints at that particular That's time. Right. He gets on really well with their group and he's able to get the best out of them. So it's a match made in heaven. You're right. Um, one guy that I really noticed in this game was Max King. So, oh, so, so we, we first half, first half was unbelievable. So he's shown glimpses all year, and it wasn't like it was a coming of age game. But the one part of his game that was really dominant um, on the weekend was his marking. Yep. So with his height and his athleticism, he gets to every ball. And um, same sort of problem with his brother; they seem to just be dropping a few here and there. Where you think, oh, once he builds up a little bit and gets that confidence in the fact of how big he is and dominant he can be. They're just going to eat those up every single week. And on the weekend, he finally was able to do it consistently. So it took five marks, four of which were contested. Um, so he was really good. And you can easily forget that the guy's only 20 years of age. And it's ridiculous, uh, isn't it? There really isn't any other 20-year-olds having that sort of impact as a key position player. I mean, I think back to maybe a Jesse Hogan who was who was probably playing his best football when he was 20. But there's not many that can have that level of impact. So... You know, in a final or in a crunch time of a season, sometimes as a supporter, you probably can get a little bit carried away with the fact that they're only, you know, so young and you can get frustrated that they're not clunking those balls. But Mm. if he's having that sort of impact already in a final, you give him four or five years, and like you say, when he puts some muscle on and some size, he's going to be a serious player. I just think, so it's weird for me now because every young guy that comes in is younger than me. So, yeah, all of a sudden I'm like... Uh, older it, than it gets weirder. It gets, <laughs> I was gonna say it probably would get weirder. Yeah. But so I'm just thinking back to when I was twenty and playing footy. Yeah. Um playing senior footy and you sort of I don't know, it takes a while to work it out. And I still haven't worked it out. And it takes it I don't think anyone does until they're usually in their sort of mid twenties, you know, into their late twenties. Look at Christian Petrarca, for example. Well, exactly. Yeah. And Dusty was the exact yep. same. So Dusty sort of couldn't quite figure it out in terms of consistency. Um, and then all of a sudden, 2017 hits and he's in that age bracket. Um, Dangerfield, very much the same. Dangerfield, yep. the same. As soon as he got to Geelong, that consistency came. So for Max King to be doing this in a final at 20 as a key forward, which is the hardest spot to come in and play straight away... Yep. Um, yeah, and really, he'll, really he'll, impressive. He'll still have his his down weeks, and he could very well not perform this week or yeah. whatever it is. You know, he's only twenty; he's going to mm. have those highs and lows. But you know, in over the next ten years, you're going to see a lot more highs than you are lows from from a player like Max King. Exactly. Uh, now, Ben Long suspension. What do you make of that? Well, I think the Saints have some sort of case tonight. Oh, sorry, mm. tomorrow night when they go to the yep. tribunal, um, which they're going to they're going to do. They're going to challenge. Uh, th- that particular case. Look, I feel like it's a throw up the stumps f- from St Kilda. Why wouldn't you? Well, uh, yeah, I think it's it's they, worth the, yeah, worth the shot. It's definitely worth mm. it. I mean, whether he's going to get off or not, uh, I don't know. The AFL's pretty hard on the on the whole when you when you take someone high sort of mm. thing. So, well, I was so the act itself, I had no issue with it. It's it's suspendable. So he chose to bump, got yeah, McCray well, high. So that was that was you no issue the there. Yeah. Um, I and watching it live, I thought that's that's a week, mm. no doubt. But then, sort of the argument that it was low impact instead of medium made sense because McRae, because obviously a lot comes off the the injury to the player, so no doubt 
McRae got up, didn't even go off the field and played the rest of the game. So there was no issues there. Yeah. Which is why I thought they might be able to downgrade it to a low impact. But I think the what did they say? The whiplash action of McRae's head and and the you're watching it fast time and you're like, Oh shit, that, that mm. looked tough. Yep. So um I wouldn't be surprised if he got off, but I'm not unhappy that he got a week either. Yeah, I, I I probably wasn't emotionally charged one way or the other mm. as well. I, I think there's a case for both sides, and I think the Saints will will give it everything at the tribunal tomorrow night. But probably in the back of their minds, probably think you know if he if he doesn't get off, well, so be it. Yeah, and it's it's a it puts. <laughs> do you think if they weren't losing Ryder and Carlisle as well that they would be challenging it this hard, or do you think do you think like do you think if those two were playing they'd be if the, after this initial tribunal result, they would have accepted I know it. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Quite possibly because, you know, they're feeling like they don't want to lose three players out of their 22 yep. going into a game against the Tigers. Um, I probably still think they'd challenge it. Just because, go. Probably because of who it is as well because it's 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 been long. I mean, if, if it was a different player and it was – he was going to – I don't know. If, if it was Jack Steele and it was the prospect of missing him for one, you know, week compared to, say, challenging him, then you maybe miss two. Would they think about it if they were able to get over Richmond? Do you want him in a prelim? I don't know. There's mm-hmm. other factors that so you consider. Factors. But I think the fact that it's been long, I think they're more than happy to go to the tribunal. And he's, he has become such an important player for them. Um, and another one that's – he's not a numbers guy, but you watch him – you watch him in a game and his impact is bigger than the numbers. So that in obviously he's been suspended twice this season, but that intensity is something you can't you can't teach a player. Mm. That's just what he's got and you love to see that even if he's gonna learn eventually ways to do this and go about go about it aggressively without being suspended regularly during a season. So once he sort of figures that out as well, um I think he's gonna be in a Stronger position. Gee, you got to feel for Paddy Ryder as well, don't you? I was just going to... He was my next... That's uh, heartbreaking. Little errors. It, it is heartbreaking, mate. And um, so this is his first finals win, which no, I just I know. didn't know. I would have assumed that I'm thinking, Essendon haven't won a final since 2004. So, of course, <laughs> he hasn't won a final. Um, and it, even with Port Adelaide, I'm surprised he didn't play yeah. in one of their... Was I, they made the preliminary final did, in 2014, didn't they? Then he went there the year after. Must have been around that time, yeah. Yeah, so... And, 256 games without playing in a finals win. Obviously, he played in his first on the weekend. Mm. The second longest streak of a, of a player to have not played in a in a finals win and then yep. to, to finish his season that way. Oh, it's, it's hard. And he was clearly best on ground mm. and it was a late injury late in the game. But it's not like, it's not like you could have said, I'll take him off. Like You needed him on because it was mm. close all of a sudden. So you do feel for him and... Um, I guess it just puts all the pressure now on Rowan Marshall to, which is no issue for St Kilda. I don't think. I feel like they can, they've proved they can get through with Rowan Marshall. He's a he's been in really good form this season, so that's no problem. But you feel for Paddy as an individual, oh, seeing no, him go yeah. down with an injury like that, and he'd he'd know straight away as well that it's it's not a little one week yeah. or a two week. It's a it's a season ending one yeah. as well. So the finals always throws up that hard luck, that oh. you know, that heartbreak story. And, and I'm thinking back to. Adelaide in 2017 and Brody Smith did his knee. Yeah. And, you know, it's those guys that have been around a long time. They finally get that chance for some success and it's just taken away immediately. Oh, think of Bob Murphy. Well, exactly. Yeah. He, yeah, actually, he's the most he's the most obvious one in the last few years. So, mm. um, now, Jakey Carlisle is leaving the hub for, for the birth of his son, which 
I couldn't even think of having an issue with it, but there's people that do and it makes no sense to me. Like the birth of his son. He has a, yeah. I just don't quite get it. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I personally, I, I don't, it, it, it doesn't affect me. I, no. I, don't, I don't care whether or not he, he chooses to go home or he stays. But it's like you say, some people get really caught up in it, and, mm. and that you know they think that it's wrong that he's leaving, or that if he was to stay, that it's wrong that he'd missed the first, the birth of his third child. Um, <laughs> I like hearing all the different angles. I heard Mark Robinson on AFL three hundred and sixty last night of that view, hearing all the different scenarios and views and and whatnot. At the end of the day, I think you know, life's bigger than football, and and oh, and, and, it's not even a and it's been such a challenging year for everyone. Mm. You know, sure, the carrot of playing in in another finals win and potentially going all the ways is huge. But you know, like like you said, it, family is so much bigger than footy. And for Jake, it's it's probably been a really tough year having his partner at home with with two kids and being pregnant. So well, the opportunity for him to go home would, would probably feel like a finals win or, or even more. You know, well, exactly. And he mentioned uh, on St Kilda's website that so his wife and the two kids came up for a week. But then they they went home again. So it's not as if you know he's got his family there with him. You know he he's been one of the ones that has basically been alone this whole time. I'm just I'm just thinking fourteen fourteen weeks worth of being away from family. That's that's heartbreaking in itself. Yeah. And then someone people are trying to ask you to play a final instead of go home for the birth of yeah. your son um, makes no sense to me because it is a job. Yep. In, at the end of the day, like I know it's such a important part of everyone's lives, the footy, but and it's, it, no, it's in, he's St Kilda's his employer. And there's no right or wrong answer here as well. I mean, some players will feel really comfortable maybe mm-hmm. in this situation not, not going home because they know that their partner's got a lot of support at home and mm-hmm. um, that's just the way it is. And, and for other players, they feel like they need to be there and that's fine as well. I, I, yep. I just I, look. It's a story because he, you know, it's a final. Mm. He's going to miss. He's out of contract. It's absolutely a story, but there's no right or wrong way to go about it for, on Jake's behalf. Correct. And, and, and I think the Saints have been really supportive of his decision as well. Yeah, and I think it might even be pumped up a bit more because Richmond are going to have Lynch and Rewalt. So, you know, now it's Dougal Howard <laughs> by himself. Uh, who who would come in for St Kilda there? I can't even think off the top of my head. No, I can't think either. Um, it's going to be a monumental task for the Saints. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um, now, I'm going to say this. Oh, this was the win of the weekend. Collingwood over West Coast over there in Perth. Um, I, <laughs> once again, stats. Look through the stats. I don't know how West Coast lost on on individual players playing well. So. Darling and Kennedy kicked three goals each and had five and seven shots on goal respectively, mm. and they lost. How often does that happen for no. a club? I don't, especially for West Coast. How often do your two key forwards combine for six goals and you not get the chocolates? At home as well. At home. They haven't lost all season, you know, and, and they're up against a side who um, has started to get their mojo back over the past couple of weeks, but mm. we're still well and truly up against it, having yep. had to quarantine in caravans and all sorts of things and... Um, you know, make the journey across. It, 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 like you said, it was it was one of the great wins. You know, of recent times, you know, certainly in finals football, and for that that football club of the, the Collingwood Footy Club to be able to go over there and get the job done. Um, remarkable performance. Uh, Mason Cox in the first quarter kicking three oh. goals was. It, 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 g- just, it gave me a bit of PTSD as a Richmond supporter yes. from that twenty eighteen prelim. I said, <laughs> I've seen this before, and it seems like there's no way you can stop it. Um, and they were able well, to. They got Barras off him nice and quick. Yeah, that's very sure. quick. Because <laughs> Barras is one where if his player gets on top, I've noticed it's a bit of you know it's 
if you don't put the fire out quick, it's going to explode yeah. eventually. So, and, and Mason's a bit of an enigma, but he's a funny one where if you get the wrong matchup, he can really take advantage because mm-hmm. of his size and he does have good aerial ability as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, clearly that's something that Geelong's going to have to be wary of next week. Yeah, and so much comes on how how the team around... So Cox is one that relies heavily on how the team plays around him. So he needs to make sure that there's space in front of him and he needs to make sure that the, the midfield are kicking it in you know, in that spot, nice and high, yeah. um, in plenty of space. Because when they do that, how how are you going to stop him? Because he's even if you got got that extra defender coming over the top, he's seven. Is he seven foot? Oh, yeah, I'd say every, six ten, six eleven. Yeah. yeah. So he needs how do you to stop go that? Right, doesn't he? Like that's well, yeah, exactly. He needs, he needs to be one out, one back with cover and yeah, and get all the favors. <laughs> but when he does, he can he can look like Wayne Carey. Exactly, <laughs> and um, and then once. Once he starts to dominate, then it just frees up everyone else that little bit more as well. So, my check is three, uh, then Cox three as well, then Dugowie two, and Hoskin Elliott and Hoskin Elliott and Elliott Jamie Elliott one each as well. So, Collingwood finally got that even contribution from yep. that forward line that everyone's expected all year. Because look at the names; that's one of the best forward lines you're gonna you're gonna put on a footy field. But it hasn't quite clicked, and dugowie has been out as well, so that didn't help. Um, but it finally started to sort of gel this week. Did you yeah, notice that? Totally agree. I think the, the influence of dugowie when he's playing good football, mm. he's the difference between them being a so-and-so team and being a contender. And that's why at the start of the final series, I, I only gave Collingwood, and I still do, they're the only team that can win it from outside the four because of yep. because of what he brings to them inside 50 and that X factor. Um, and, and like you said, their, their forward group as a whole – they haven't quite fulfilled their potential up until probably the weekend. Mm-hmm. And now if they can do that for three more weeks, well, there's no reason why they can't go all the way. And I look, surely they're up against it, but mm. he is, you know, when he's at his best, Jordan Dugowie, he is, he elevates the side more than just about any other player in the competition, if that makes sense. No, no you're right. And, and it's, he creates that energy. So if you go back and watch the 2018 highlights of Jordan Dugowie in the grand final, and I've, there's not many highlight, one game highlight reels that get me pumped up as much as that game where, you know, he shakes off two tackles, kicks a goal from the boundary, kicks two goals from outside 50 on the run. And yep. really, every single goal seemed to, gave me the, th- the thoughts that Collingwood are going to win this, this grand final. And then it took some heroics in West Coast to do it. But you saw it on the weekend as well. Every time Dugowie is near the ball or he, or he does those miraculous things, you think Collingwood can't lose from here? Yeah, and he's a guy that feeds off atmosphere, and and he probably just relished the fact that he was over there up against. Yep. I don't know how many fans were in the stadium, but you know, a, a jam packed Perth stadium full mm. of you know, uh, <laughs> loud West Coast yeah. supporters um, giving it to him over the fence. He would have loved that. He's the sort of player that relishes it, and not every player does. Mm. Um, some players go into their shell in that situation, but. I think he's he's an extrovert in that sense, and he, he's the opposite on the field. Yeah, um, and, and he's a, he's a real reason why that they can be dangerous still over the coming weeks. And I think so. I think their hardest final was all. If you look at the the path they were going to take to get to the grand final, this was probably the one where if they got this one, you, then you think the path doesn't. It's not easy, but it's easier. So they got they get Geelong this week, who in in the past they like playing Geelong. Um, there's no doubt about that, and um, I still am going to tip Geelong. But if Collingwood was going to play anyone, they'd rather be playing Geelong than Richmond, I would feel. And yep. then, then they get to play Brisbane in a prelim. And I know we talked earlier about 
the Brisbane dominance at the Gabba, but he would you rather play Brisbane and Brisbane or Port Adelaide and Adelaide? I'm taking Brisbane over the power I d- I in terms of a home prelim. I agree with that. The only thing I would say on that is that Collingwood, for some reason or another over the past 20 years, have, have been the best travelling side in the competition. There is mm. No one travels better than Collingwood. Yep. And that's why I gave them a real chance on the weekend against West Coast because mm. I don't know whether it's something to do with the way that they gel as a group when they go away or um, the energy they feed off on the crowd. Whatever it is, that, that it never seems to phase them when they're away from home. So mm. I do agree with you. Uh, uh, Brisbane in Brisbane um, probably is a slightly one. easier uh, opponent oh. than, than Port Adelaide in yep. Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I don't think... Travelling worries Collingwood one bit. At all, no. no. Um, and this, so the, the Geelong game is going to be so interesting because both teams defend really well and Collingwood, every single game bar, bar the Melbourne game, they defended really well. So remember Melbourne embarrassed them that night at the uh, yep. Gabba? Yeah. Um, so they, they, de- they were depleted that night. Yeah, injuries obviously, but, yeah. but that was the one game where you know, they – Conceded 100 points. It hasn't really happened all year. Yeah. And Geelong is similar. So it's just the battle of who can make the most of their opportunities going inside 50 because um, Collingwood, apart from the weekend, haven't been able to do it all year. Now they've got the, some players back. Um, and Geelong were obviously out of sorts offensively against Port Adelaide. So who do you give the edge to? Because it's sort of – it's the battle of the poor offences, if you want to put it into words – Oh, after the weekend, I was very much of the opinion that you know that the teams losing in the four are still the sides to beat in that next week of finals. Mm. But for some reason, the longer this week goes on, I, I'm starting to, to lean into the Collingwood thing a bit more. Mm. I, I don't know whether it's the particular matchup against Geelong that I like about it, but I've gone from being probably 60-40 Geelong to being you know genuinely 50-50, and I don't know who I'm going to tip yep. um, this weekend. I think Collingwood have the potential to be able to break the game open in the first quarter. I think, you know... Like and they've see- proven that. And it's same with... It's, it come, comes down to the guys like Jaden Stevenson. So he's obviously that four, first quarter specialist and Collingwood have become that. And then they slow down and yep. come to a halt in the next three quarters. So you're right. They are the, that, that first quarter specialist. I mean, the other big thing as well will be interesting with, with Joel Selwood as well, whether or mm. not he's... I mean, he's going to play. He's declared himself fit to play, but you know, how much of an impact a, a, a dislocated finger has or, mm. you know, on his ability to win the football, I don't know. And we'll probably find out on Saturday night. But, um, yeah, fascinating game of footy. I just wish it was at the MCG. It, yeah, there's a few of these finals where you just think, imagine the MCG, eighty to 90,000 packed out. Um, yeah, that's that's when you miss the footy. Mm. Uh, even though even though it's on and it's great to have it on because, we you know, didn't have it for so long, that's when you – the finals time when you start to think, wouldn't mind it back in Melbourne. Would you consider going up to uh, the Northern Territory and quarantining for two weeks, Nashy, and then going across to Queensland? To, if you knew you had a ticket to the grand final, if I gave you one right now, yep. would you would you do that? Yeah. you do it? Well, well mate, <laughs> this is a personal Even if you knew Richmond weren't guaranteed of getting in the grand yeah, final? Yeah, I reckon I would. Mate, I'm unemployed at the moment, so I've got plenty <laughs> of time to, to go and quarantine. Uh, uh, I'm used to quarantining. No, it doesn't bother me. So I reckon I would do that because, you know, to be a part of this history – making season and the and the grand final where, you know, it's going to – once in a lifetime, really, yeah. to see it outside of the MCG. Yeah. Um, I reckon I would take that on. All right, let's find, would him, you? find him a ticket. I was like, get me on. Someone 
someone give me a sponsor. I don't know. Someone give me give me a ticket. Um, we'll start a GoFundMe for the two and a half thousand to quarantine at yep. the NT. Yep, we can do that. Get me. Yep, get me up there, and I'm backing in the Richmond will make it. So I'll I'll go up there with some confidence that the Tigers are going to get through. I wouldn't knock you. I wouldn't knock your opinion there. I mean, they've been such a great side for so long. I, I I still think they're a red hot chance to win the flag. So that takes us into Richmond St Kilda. Who are you who are you tipping there? And and give me a margin. C- cannot see in any way, shape, or form St Kilda winning this game of football. That's not the words I wanted to hear. Touchwood. <laughs> uh, but yeah, continue. I mean, uh, that, Richmond should be a dollar ten. I don't know what they yeah. are. I mean, I think they're probably dollar thirty or something. But they really should be a dollar ten. Mm. They won't lose to St Kilda. You, 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 I mean, I know you've, you, do, you, got, you don't you, want to jinx them, Nashy, but surely you, you're on the, of that no, opinion No, well. I'm very much of the same opinion. There's um, no way the Tigers go out and say set, straight sets. No, I can't say it either. And only because it's not like we played badly. I, I, I don't think Richmond played horribly no. on, on Friday night. You know, four 50-minute penalties never helps a team, two of which resulted in goals. So, I mean, you take those two off and it's a completely different ball game. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking Richmond forty plus. I'm going to go with the. I'm going to go bang. <laughs> yep. With the forty plus. I, I just. I mean, if St Kilda get up without Ryder, Carlisle, Long, um, it, it would be. We talk about Collingwood's win in the West last week. Well, this would be an enormous victory, mm-hmm. you know, for their football club to to put them in a preliminary final. Yeah. And you've got one foot in the door of 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 making the grand final. Mm. Um, I can't see it happening, but look. Football's a funny game. I've, I've seen stranger things happen over the years. And so. this, this season more um, than any. Mm. I, I refuse to write anyone or any any possible outcome off during 2020 because I have officially seen it all. And you've no. seen, seen it all in every sport. Like the NBA is the same. Um, NFL is getting sorted towards that area. So mm. it's, it's just happening everywhere. You should be safe. You should be safe. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Now, who who are you? So you're fifty fifty on Collingwood Geelong. Who are you? Um, who are you going to go with? Uh, Geelong. Geelong. But give me a buzz on Friday. Come on, <laughs> just Geelong. I, like not, with no confidence. No, nah, no confidence whatsoever. But so I've just got to trust the fact that Geelong have been the better side yep. across the season. And although Collingwood's last month has been really good, the, I've got the slight knock on them that they're. I think the issue of going to Perth might actually be a bigger factor this week. So to travel across the quarantine, they're able to play a lot on probably adrenaline and effort and energy. Last week, they're going to have to come back to Queensland now and, and reset. I think the impact of that trip may actually have more of an effect this week. And, and that's probably why I've, I'll, I'll probably just tip Geelong on, yep. on the back of that, that, that they're going to have it um, slightly... It's going to be slightly in their favour, but look, you know the pies have been really good the last few weeks, so it wouldn't shock me. There's a there's a lot of recency bias, especially in footy media. Yep. So I think just because John lost on the weekend, everyone all of a sudden thinks, well, now they're out of form. Yeah, um, they lost to the top side. Lost to the top and they team. Missed chances. So missed chances. They weren't dreadful in Adelaide, and yep. I don't know, I've never been to Adelaide Oval, but it looks like a pretty intimidating place when the Port or Adelaide fans are really up and going. So. I think we've just easily forgotten that three weeks ago, Geelong were the clear flag favourites after embarrassing yep. Port Adelaide on a bit longer than that. But so you're with the Cats as well? I'm with the Cats as well, yeah. I I mean, Collingwood had every chance, but um, and Geelong have proved it in previous years as well. They lose that first final. Everyone says, oh, straight sets is a real possibility now. And then they come out and you know they embarrassed West Coast last year as one example. 
Um, so I say I, I think Geelong as well. I don't see Tom Hawk going O five no. again. I don't see you know I don't see the three headed monster of small forwards going n- no goals between yeah. them again. So. It's just that recency bias that seems to pop up every week. Oh, and yeah. yeah, they've got to get the storyline out there that, you know, Collingwood a huge chance and Geelong are failing again. But I think, um, yeah, the Cats will be yeah. – we'll hold on for sure. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. It's going to be good. And uh, as long as you're free, Maddie, we're going to have you back on next oh, week as well and discuss some more finals footy. Look forward to it, Nash. Who wins the flag? Richmond. You still think the Tigers? I, yeah, I, I do because – so I'm going to go with a bit of manifest. So every every dynasty in the last few years has had to go that hard way to the flag, yep. that third flag. Yep. So Brisbane in 03 um, had to go the long way. Hawthorne in 2015. You know, I remember that, that final at the West Coast one, you thought, well, that's the that's the end of Hawthorne and the dynasty because yep. it seemed, yep. seemed figured out and you know lost that final... On West Coast home deck with the fans up and about, and it was almost like West Coast had broken the hoodoo. So it sort of seems to marry up a little bit. So yep. I'm going with a bit of, you know, the manifest here that the Tigers will go the long way yep. and get it done. I, I probably, I think it's, I think they'll make the grand final, Richmond. I think they'll yeah. win this weekend. I think they'll go to Adelaide and beat Port Adelaide. And I think they'll play the Lions. And I think, again, it's a 50 50 call. But I, I trust the fact, I, well, you know, the fact that the Lions are in the prelim already, they're going to have a home. Prelim, they're going to have a home grand final if they mm-hmm. get through. That that's where my leaning is towards. So that's your I, tip I'm with for the, the flag. I'm, I'm with the Brizzy Lions, yeah. Um, and I think it'd be a great story, a football story. Oh, it would. Chris Fagan, young group. They were embarrassing three years ago. They were an embarrassment. Oh, the basket case. I mean, mm-hmm. they were about to play in the kneeful. They were seriously. Mm. Like they were dreadful. I'm thinking back to 2017. Richmond held them to a goal and kicked 100 points themselves at the MCG. Fast forward three years and yep. they're just beating us in a qualifying final. I mean, you can't... Been a remarkable turnaround. Crazy yep. turnaround. from And with a guy that has never coached before, was 55 when they hired him. Yeah. Um, and all off the back of really good drafting and some specific targeted recruiting yep. that has really paid dividends in the end. And I think it'd be great for a great reward for Queensland football in general as well. That, you know, they've... The, f- the following of AFL football in Queensland is really strong, mm-hmm. and I think it's underestimated in, in, in the eastern, say, the lower eastern states like Victoria or, you know, uh, f- traditional football states, I should say, yep. how strong a following there is in Queensland for footy, how much of a hunger there is. Yep. And and I think it would be a great reward for that state and, and their loyal supporters up there um, in Brisbane to, to, to win a premiership, and I, and I think they're a really big chance of doing that. And just quickly, the fact that, the fact that Lockie Neal, who is from... Uh, South Australia has gone <laughs> and played in Perth and then has chosen to go and live and play in Brisbane. They've picked up McCluggage and Berry that are both from country Victoria and they've chosen to stay there and love it there. Yep. Um, the fact that they've got those guys and kept them all there is remarkable. And it's going to help them, if not win the flag this year, though, I imagine they're going to win one eventually. Oh, they're well placed, aren't they? And just recruits roll in and people want to play there now and it's all of a sudden become that... Not Des- jug- juggernaut yet, but destination like destination club though. Yeah, destination they? club where people want to go and play again um, after being so long for so long being that team there. Whoever you were drafting, you were losing in four years. That, that was the problem, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Everyone who walked in walked out two years later, 
and, and they've completely been able to shift that to the point where now that they, they are bringing in players and they've brought in the likes of, of Neil and Cameron and, and, they're, and they're a destination club. And I reckon if you, if you were drafted in the AFL right now, there wouldn't be too many more places you would want to play mm. than the Lions. Yeah, well, sunny Brisbane, in That's terms right. of the place, lifestyle, great place culture, to live. Mm-hmm. list, it on is, field. It's a dream place to play AFL football, right? I now. know Josh Shackey came back for personal stuff, and you know he's a Melbourne person, wanted to live, be with his family again, but purely on field, I think he maybe wish he was back in Brisbane. No, no doubt. I mean, not getting a game at the Bulldogs, and imagine that, that forward line of Hipwood and Shackey. Yeah, I know Shaky hasn't shown. If he got the best, but yeah, you know, imagine. Right I feel like he would have got the best out of himself with Fagan, especially. So um, it'll be interesting to watch, and um, we look forward to discussing it all again next week, mate. It's going to be a good game, good couple of games of footy. Um, and I can't wait to dissect it next week. Can't wait, mate. Hopefully your Tigers can get up. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs>